ladies and gents, it's Elliot back at Engineers. Thanks for all checking in and coming to listen to another fabulous episode. We've got Jason today and uh, we're we're always keen to talk about um, API aggregators and the rise of them over the last couple of years. And Jason and the team at, at Coda have done uh, another fascinating piece of work in the world of payments or financial integration. So we're going to dig deeper into the guys and girls at Coda over the next Next half hour, 45 minutes. Jason, cheers for joining us. Thanks, man. Jason, give us a bit of an intro into um, you, your background. Let's get a feel for Jason and uh, let's get a feel for, for Coda and dig deeper into, I guess, the, the piece API integrations and we can explore your journey a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so, as you said, my name's Jason. <laughs> I'm the head of engineering <laughs> at Kodak. Um, I stood up at a, some sort of uh, group meeting, maybe, uh, for my sins. The um, and I, I've done a few bits and pieces. I started off as an electronics engineer and did bits of firmware, and uh, I've done all sorts of bits of software. And, and I found myself kind of running the engineering team at, at Kodak. So I've worked in a few different industries, you know, health and, and finance and automotive and things like that. So. Um, all sorts of different places, and yeah, now find myself in this world of API aggregation, uh, which is great. It's a fun old world. What what attracted you? Do you feel, if you remember those moments, what attracted you to Coda at the time bef- before joining the business? I probably caught you off guard here. Another Coda people are going to listen to this, but what <laughs> what attracted you at the time? Well, um, I worked with uh, the three founders at a previous company. We were trying to do. Uh, build in-house really the problem that Kodak solves and, and I was yeah. you know, one of the engineers on that that project and um, along with those guys who, who worked in sort of other other areas or within engineering that company and you know it was it was hard it was a faff right we looked for incumbents that maybe could solve the problem and there were a couple but the tech was old you know they'd, they'd started early and and the tech was probably very sound when they started but the, yeah. they hadn't played catch catch up and there wasn't much uh, in the competitive landscape. And I think the guys felt, you know, there's there's a real opportunity here for someone to tackle this problem with a kind of a real focus on the okay. experience, the developer's experience, not just the kind of the data that we're getting out. Well, obviously, that's incredibly important. And so they, they started up. And I think at the time, I, I wasn't really ready to, to join a, a company at that early stage, but it was, you know, such an exciting project and something yeah. I'd worked on really understood the value and so i was like if you can convince someone to give you some money and funding i'll come and join you that day so that the day they announced family and friends seed round i was like okay fine i'll quit my job and i'll come join you <laughs> so yeah it was yeah, uh good. Those early days of cohort work four guys in a printer i think we used to refer to ourselves as you know okay um to tell us about the the problem that that you're trying to solve i'm also interested to understand what you learned at your previous company, using your words, it was a faff. So I'm keen to understand what was a faff and how did you try and get that right with some of the other guys uh, when when building the business and, and the developer experience? But firstly, problem that you're trying to solve, talk to us a little bit about that. There's a huge amount of, of information that's really useful about the way any 
business operates and, and their operational information is incredibly useful. And, and often that operational information gets spat out into a ledger, right? So accounting information often is a good, a ledger is a good history of the kind of activity in a business. And, and that can be yeah. used to report, right? To build kind of, you know, balance sheets and profit and losses and things like that, those kind of accounting reports. And people manage that information in all sorts of different ways. So all sorts of different bits of software, essentially. And it's really useful to help, you know, price in terms of lenders, you know, there are business apps type uh, settings yep. where if somebody wants to interact, automate some business management process, they need to interact with that information. And there's no standardized model for doing an accounting on a, a ledger, right? And I think a lot of people understand double entry bookkeeping, but unfortunately, the way that yep. that information is surfaced through APIs and from, you know, and even when there's not an API, some old school desktop app, that's not particularly standardized. And yep. so allowing people to kind of get access to that information standardize the authorization process and that's that's the first part of what Kurt does so yep. makes getting that authorized access to the information really really easy with some ui tools as well as some apis and then standardizing that business management information and uh, we started with accounting data because that was super valuable to a lot of the people that we yep. needed it lenders and, uh, and other financial services and but also there's like you know, point of sale information, you know, from payment systems, there's, you know, payroll information, HR okay. information, all that stuff can be really useful for for either someone in the financial service that's maybe trying to price something better for you and understand the risk of doing business with you, as well as something that's much more operational, something you know, yeah. like expense management or something like that, that is kind of just admin that you might find a company does really well that you want to use their expense management solution, but, you know, you, you really want your accountant to be happy about you using that system. And so, we use uh, the standardization of the data as an in, as an intermediary for either being able to read information out of that third party or being able to write information back into that third party. And then on top of that model, we we have a few products that standardize being able to move information. And it's a bit different than an API gateway, you know, those kind of MuleSoft type tools that that you know do aggregation of APIs yeah. and authorization. Because you know we think Kodak, we've got a big SME knowledge base about the, the domains of the information that we we're not looking at any old information we're specifically looking at business management information so accounting and payments and a point of sale and, and this sort of information and we think we can uh we can better standardize and map that to use it as an intermediary and so you know it's kind of like a, a little bit of value add for being able to plug that data in and out of various places you want to plug it in and out of cool I want to touch on a couple of points. We can touch on them later. There's there's a couple of high profile integrations that that you've gone through, but I think that's a really good overview of um, how you might plug into a business, the business offering essentially that you guys and girls give. So that's some good context. Let let's roll back just a little bit to some of the faff and some of the learnings because obviously we want to talk about the engineering stuff. So. I always like to, I don't like to focus on failures, but um, what did you maybe learn at your previous company that you took into your engineering here when you were thinking about building largely seemingly a very back-end and API-focused product, do you think? Yeah, I think some of the, the, the things that we learned, especially about you know the way that some of the systems we'd interacted with previously had worked was that the, the value of of really understanding failure when well, i know you've asked me what did you do what did you learn from failure and i guess the that even as a technical answer i think understanding exactly where you're failing and why you're failing i think when you're doing a job okay. like aggregation and standardization 
you need to be really, really, really defensive in a way that you really know that if you think you know the intent of the piece of information you're receiving, that you're then saying you can mm. map into some standard form, um, that you really understand the, 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 the edge cases and, and the intent of that information you're bringing in. And if, you, if you're even a little bit unsure, that you stop and you, 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 know, you, you try and find every way to be able to communicate exactly how. And so, you know, I think using those systems and using the building the thing before, there was, there was a lot of occasions where something is going through some engine to, to translate data and we're, we're, we're an intermediary, right? We're not the end user and we're not necessarily the, the consumer of it either. And we don't necessarily yeah. have a re direct relationship with the end user. So being able to stop and quiz them about, you know, or it's not really possible. So you kind of really need to know uh, what's going on. I think that, that understanding failing fast and understanding why you're failing, always expecting failure were things that we took of being really useful. I think it's one of the make, things that makes Kodak quite a useful product is that we're pretty open about things. Yeah. Um, we, we think our, our speed to be able to fix and, and correct and, and apply some knowledge to, to move forward is really, really good. But yeah, we're not going to make a best guess or make an assumption. And I think that's really important in, in these sorts of things. And we definitely learned that moving into Kodak that it was going to be really valuable um, to build trust because we were, yeah. you know, like I said, four guys in a printer, right? Who's going to buy a product from us that's, that's doing something that's quite serious, this standardization piece. I think the other thing was moving slow in terms of, you know, um, okay. uh, building up the body of knowledge in the domain. You know, we're moving really fast in terms of implementation. Yeah. But each piece that we added, we were like, let's let's try and limit the scope as much as possible. Let's really target what sort of information we want to be interacting with from these third parties and, and really understand that we know what we're doing with our own model, which is, you know, this kind of yeah. uh, that standardized model before we, we add more, right? Because it'd be quite tempting to say, okay, let's just create, let's spend a year creating an Excel schema, right? Which is business management information. And it's uh, a big, yeah. enormous beast. The idea that, you know, lots of people around the world have tried to standardize things like that and they've flopped. So why on earth would we be any better than any standard organization anywhere else in the world? So, yeah, that was I think that was a really sensible track. Yeah, I, that, that sounds sensible. And I, th I think you hit quite a good nail on the head there with um, moving slow, but having the ability to move fast with, you know, what, knowing what you're confident with. I see a lot of stories of companies just moving at 150 miles an hour not necessarily they go off the face of the earth but they they miss their their product point at times and they miss their focus so i think it's nice to to take that reflection and think what we're we really good at and what what do we need to move slow on because we're acquiring that knowledge so i think that's yeah. quite a nice balance as well because it's easy to get some funding get a runway blast it be a hyper growth company and then sort of look at two years and think what's just happened yeah and stumble a bit and i i think we kodak was never in a position where we thought we want to you know i think we always early doors you know the the joke in the company was we want to try a business model which is to build a product and sell it for revenue which yep. seemed to be alien in in uh in tech and uh in some regard but I mean, that's a bit glib i guess but um so, you know, we wanted to build a product really early that we thought would add value and we could sell and then and then iterate on, you know, adding little bits of small scope that we really understood, but doing that fairly rapidly, you know, rather than sitting in dark mode for for a year or two, you know, maybe missing the mark in some places. Uh, and it, and it, it really helped partly because, you know, um, we didn't really 
understand the weird and wonderful ways in which people do business management and, and handle their information in these services until we started seeing real data in production, right? And it really tells you uh, why it's such a hard problem because people, you know, the first thing people do when they buy a piece of software to do some administration tasks, mm. they don't read the manual, right? Nobody sits down and read the docs about how you're supposed to use it. So they use it on all sorts of weird and wonderful yep. days, ways. And we saw all sorts of weird and wonderful data. And, and on top of that, you know, these vendors aren't fallible. They're software written by humans and there's there's bugs and there's outages and there's yep. all sorts of things in their own systems, right? That they're trying to cover them themselves for. And so the number of times that we mm. came across things that were like, oh, actually, I think we can, we can fix this issue in the data that, you know, otherwise someone's going to, stumble across themselves you know um when they're trying to integrate so yeah. yeah that kind of moving in moving fast but moving in really small little chunks and, and making sure we're, we're getting that product in the in the hands of clients as early as possible you know every little chunk delivers value to someone you know? you, you've touched on quite a couple of interesting things that i can imagine obviously don't have first-hand experience but can be quite tough for you that that lack of customer interaction how people are using business software and you're working off the basis like you just said of some of the data points that you're getting from people so not not trying to work on assumptions how tough can it be to understand what do our customers want if you don't always have that that direct interaction with them and you're feeding yeah. off some of that that data that they give you. So, how tough can that be to to connect the dots for for a startup? Sorry to put you on the on the spot no, there yeah, a little no, bit. Yeah, that's fine. And uh, you know, I think I've mentioned a couple of times that kind of having trust in and how reliable and robust and and the SME for the you know that you know what you're doing in the the area that you're doing it means that I think our our clients and you know our, our clients early we had. A good rapport we had a good relationship they trusted us a level that you know when we when we came across those issues we were open transparent and i think transparency is you know like i said about failing fast and know why you're failing being honest about it i think being really yeah. transparent means and i, I made some notes about this because you want to you know we're going to talk about some of the partnerships later and i i think we we thought very early on that basically every client that we have and you know every integration every service that we pull data from we think of them sort of more of a as a partner and I know that sounds like nonsense, Gump, but you know it's much more about us working together to find out a solution than than us kind of at arm's yeah. length putting out a product that it's like and it's yours to administer and it's yours to work, right? So everything we came across, we were hand in glove with both our clients, and and it meant that early on we you know that people were pretty keen to be like, actually, you know, our user sees the value in our product, we see the value in yours, so let's all just sit down and uh, and work out what. You know what needs to be done here and um we've tried to carry that on obviously it gets harder and harder as you scale more and more to have uh, to be close to everyone yeah. but um yeah it's i think uh starting early on from from that that kind of open transparent honesty kind of uh, kind of place yeah i think we build the trust that means that you know when it when it when it comes to it you know we get access to who we need to talk to to be able to sort those sorts of things out it's not always easy but you know more often than not you know you can get on a phone with somebody yeah. they want they want to see it work you know yeah i love that i think everyone listening can probably feel some of the pain points around you know you, you do have to work on the basis of no assumptions over communicate really build partnerships with people otherwise 
in whatever you're doing, you're not going to build something that is customer centric in the end. Uh, no matter how much, going back to that assumption point, no matter how much you think it is right for someone, sometimes it, it never always is. I, I'm I'm like an optimist, uh, pessimist, as in I, I am quite pessimistic and think, okay, that's probably not good enough. Um, we probably need to do this. But I think until you actually ask really direct questions and build that relationship, that that's when you actually start building something better going off on a slight tangent here yeah yeah no it's um yeah it's true yes you you talk about um four guys printer and that's grown from uh four guys in a printer to 10 guys and girls in a printer to 100 people there's been funding rounds in there yeah. Talk to us about that journey. Try and sum that journey up or that madness up, um, not necessarily as succinctly as possible, but try and sum it up. What, what's that been like? Uh, yeah, it's been it's been really fun. I mean, I can't deny it. it's been great. I mean, I, I love my job and I'm, I'm really, really excited yeah. by the company that I work for. So um, it's been it's been fun. I mean, the things that have been challenging, I think, oftentimes are not necessarily the things you foresee and a lot of the time it's because you're making decisions early on you've got a balance against a long bet versus you know your hand to mouth and 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 like i said we weren't a company that was going to sit in dark mode for a number of years feeding off funding we wanted to be out selling the product and um and and we were i say four guys and and a printer we were five guys a commercial director joined very very soon after uh, after i joined and, and had been kind of um you know involved with kodak uh, for a while there and, and that was you know that was super yeah. important and uh yeah so it was it's always in retrospect right that you feel like the things that were hard could have been easier on yourself and um you yeah. know i think some of the things that we really thought were going to be hard were hiring i think we really thought that you know hiring and, and culture was going to be incredibly hard but maybe some of the things that we learned um, from from previous companies and from mentors, uh, you know, the, the kind of other side yeah. of that, which is the other technical decisions we made early on, um, you know, one of them was that we didn't really want to be writing any line of code. And at the time, Pete, our CEO, he, he used to be a developer and he's, you know, quite an accomplice C-sharp dev, although he'd deny it now. Um, you know, the, him, awesome. Dave, our CTO, and myself were, um, were kind of, you know, nose to the keyboard um in those early months and you know we wanted to be sure that anything that that we put into paper for was um was a product we could sell right because if you're spending time doing something you want to know it's going to materialize as as revenue somehow and um, and so we made a lot of decisions in those kind of are we going to use um something off the shelf you know what what tools are we going to use uh how much time do we think we should spend learning before we start building and we used really really okay. boring tech and we used boring tech that we had used in the past and that we knew that were you know used by a lot of um a lot of other industries that have been around for a while right we, we were like we like c sharp we like net okay let's if we're all in on that right let's, everything is the microsoft stack then right we're going to go into azure we're going to use their azure devops rather than jira right and which everything is going to be point and click one click to get from code to deployed into the cloud because anything on that journey that, that that we have to write code on the journey to get product 
in the hands of our client is not something that's yeah. saleable. Like we, we can't sell our CI CD pipeline. Um, and we, you know, we knew we needed yeah. one. Okay. So we, anything we can get off the shelf to mean that the only code we're writing is code that's going to do something for a client that we can sell. And, um, you know, that, that was a, that was a good decision. I think one of the things that we then got caught out by was, um, you know, is that the thing expanded, there becomes a, there, there becomes a cutoff point where in terms of value, slowing down value, getting that pipeline to be as smooth as it possibly can. Uh, most developers come in and yeah. that needs to be code. I think infrastructure is code. We were too late to, you know, we made a decision about when yeah. to come to it and we're really only getting to it now very seriously, which, you know, and now it's a much bigger project than I think it would have been if we'd spent some time learning, but you know, you, you, you kind of make those bets and it's okay. only in retrospect, right? Maybe the two weeks that we spent working out how to, how to deploy, uh, you know, using an infrastructure as code tool early on would have been two weeks that would have missed out on a deal, right? It's so hard to know. Um, uh, but yeah, that was, True. that we probably could have made a better decision there. That's, it's now, you know, tough documenting as well. So, so did, what, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, so did more hires come into the business and say, there are a couple of gaps. We think infrastructure as code could be leveraged here. And these are the reasons why for everyone well, yeah, to take that sure. decision. Is that the thing? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I guess this started with me talking about hiring and why choosing boring tech is useful. And, um, yeah. So having that platform meant we were hiring, you know, we weren't looking for something esoteric. We also were hiring our hiring process is geared around what's the actual job people are going to do. I think a lot of, uh, companies hire for, a culture fit and also a technical level which is well beyond the job that they're actually going to be asked to do right you know i've i've been to interviews at places and i've, I've heard reports of people being interviewed they're like here's some really esoteric computer science problem that we need to you know you, you, here's some graph theory thing you need to write some code to do some recursive yeah. you know, graph uh thing and and then they get to their job and they're writing crud apps you know it's like here's here's a bit of javascript on the front end and here's a bit of data access on the back end. And, um, and so I think we, we always managed to make sure that hiring process reflected the job that people are probably going to be, you know, actually going to have to do. And I think it meant that we, we hired and selected people, um, who were, who were great at the job. And then the other things that we were looking yeah. for that individual, you know, came and gave us a big, came with that. Yeah. So, you know, if you're, if we're, we're selecting for some subset, yeah. we didn't matter if someone had a whole bunch of extra other skills, you know, they could bring that into the, the table yeah. for mind usage and apply them. And so, yeah, we had people that came in that had, you know, used Terraform before and were like, hey, this is going to be really useful. Why aren't we doing something similar in Azure? And, you know, fair, fair thing to say. <laughs> I th you, you probably don't think that, well, I think you do think it's a smart decision going with what you know, but there are so many instances where companies go with... Uh, what I don't think some of the people feel comfortable doing and they hire uh, against probably what that person would or could be doing in that role. It, it seems simplified or it seems just you've simplified everything and that's what's been a success. And I was going to say culture kind of comes with that because there isn't this ego expectancies that are really out of sync that i think we're all human right we all have feelings 
contribute to some of that and everyone is kind of on the same page from yeah. the starting point that's just how it feels i don't know yeah um you know i do we talk about sort of that transparent relationship honest relationship True. we want to have with clients and and with our integration you know the people we integrate with and the partners there um and i think we that that translates internally as well right i think there's a you know in being able to move quickly you need people to be making decisions as close to the point of the problem as possible right which means that the first the first person who comes across that problem needs to feel that they can either be empowered to make a decision to get past it or they know where yeah. to go to get the data and they can trust that they can say hey i don't know how to solve this problem i can ask around to gather the information to solve that problem and so yeah the early on as well that that culture thing really what we're looking for is is people who are willing to to collaborate honest about the things that they're good at okay. and honest about the things that they're not good at because you know, it's much easier to balance yeah. a team and, and be able to solve problems when you know hey there's a thing here that there's an aspect of that problem this individual is probably going to be really good at but there's part of that problem is maybe they need to pair with yeah. somebody maybe they need to work with another stakeholder in the business to work out that problem and uh, it meant that hopefully is as yeah. much as possible whoever confronted something was usually empowered enough to make a decision to move past yep. it. Um, and yeah, I think that's, that, that's All really right. important. That's, I think maybe in our hiring aid, like say simplicity, but I think we, we, we try and explicitly pick for that. Um, you know, uh, you say no ego and politics. I mean, that, that's damaging, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, before we talk a little bit about um, some of the engineering challenges, uh, I'm keen to uncover that, you know, there's uh, no doubt integration high volumes of data other things what what else do you think represents Kodak's engineering ethos quite well low ego um, trust transparency what what do you think resembles what you might find together hashing out some architecture or other things what do you think what yeah. might resemble being in that room if I was to stand in there from an outsider? So there's a few, I guess, sort of institutions and organizations that I think, you know, a few of us have respect for. And so, you know, the I, I'll use an example. So the, the IETF, right, which is uh, kind of a, an organization of people that, um, that yep. forward uh, specs for the internet, right? They have this, uh, this concept of RFCs, right? So where somebody puts out a, either a suggestion for a revision to something that's maybe a specification or an implementation yep. specific for something. And we use that model a lot internally and in, in especially in engineering for working out how to solve problems. So any engineer, might be a junior engineer has come across a problem, they can publish uh, an RFC um, internally, which can then be put up for peer review. And again, that's that kind of okay. trust and openness thing. You know, uh, We're a big fan of saying that comment isn't criticism and correction isn't criticism right so there's uh, we tend to get a good collaborative kind of atmosphere on on hashing out okay here's here's what we think we want to do get people to to, to okay. put their put their opinions in and then off the back of that it's up to the individual proposer really to say hey i think we've come to a better decision or come to a better idea let's run with that uh, and then we use uh, adr yep. Uh, which is architectural decision record which is like this this, this lightweight thing that means when people make a decision Maybe it's come off the back of an RFC or something like that. They can they can document it, which I think is really important with decision making and something we definitely didn't do enough of yep. um, early doors. <laughs> Maybe it goes through another round of collaboration, but 
And the point is that it's the person who's who's come across the problem who wants to find the solution that gets to make yeah. the final decision and has the final say. And that might be a junior developer that wants to make a decision about how, hey, we're using a certain set of React components. Should we have a standardized way of doing it? You know, or we're writing a bit of code here in the back end to map this thing. You know, it'd be really nice to have this piece of infrastructure that would that would help us. Right the way up to maybe a principal engineer who's saying, I really think that the way we handle errors in RPC calls in inter-service communication, yep. we need to change our global standard for um, for error codes uh, across the system. And, and equally, we get people's in a center of practice, so uh, commenting and reviewing and revising. And then when we want to get that work, uh, we also have the similar sort of relationship with the other departments in the business, whether that's product and um, uh, and the others. So getting that prioritized in our backlog is, you know, can we kind of, sit around a table yeah. equally to be like hey we've got technical things we want to do they're always rooted in client value and i think that that's also really really important i think that's something you would probably notice a lot yeah you know as an outsider in a room at kodak that from engineers to support solutions architects product we're always talking about okay the thing that that guides us in the room the thing that makes us all bound here is the fact that kodak is selling product to clients and we need to be selling a product that's effective and helpful to those yeah. clients so whatever we're talking about what's the client yeah. value and that, that kind of helps detach it from yeah. any sense of personal value which is fine i mean people can have passion projects but yeah. you know it comes down to that if we rewrite the platform on Go, in colang maybe that would be interesting but honestly what are our clients getting out of it and maybe something maybe nothing and that that keeps us grounded i think you know um that sort of client focus user focus i like that mindset I think it's I think it's really easy to overcomplicate something. Um, by the way, I'm I'm probably not a fair person to judge. By the way, but I think it's really easy to overcomplicate something. And being um, product or customer first is actually cool. That there's some great shiny things that are happening here. But someone's paying for this, so let's get something of value in their hands. I, I like that. Talk to us a little bit about some of the developer experience that you'll find using Kodak. I think that that's quite important for you. And then we can roll back and go to some of the engineering challenges. And like I said earlier on, um, some of that integration. But I think it would be useful to understand that Kodak journey as in that developer experience part. Yeah. Can we understand that a little bit more and what, what's that like? Yeah. So, I mean, a bit of a journey. I guess when we first started out, there was a bit of a, a mission statement internally that we thought it should be possible to reading the docs on your own, get up and running with a proof of concept with Kodak's API in a day. Yeah. You know, the, the volume of code that needs to be written to be able to do that um, should constitute the fact that and the, the concept that you need to think about and deal with should be simple enough and obvious enough to someone who's looking at this domain to be able to get up and running in a day. And I think we've tried really yeah. hard and uh, to, to, to retain that. Early early on, we used to do a lot of, basically every client that, that signed got a day, a dev day, uh, where yeah. they could sit around with, you know, quite often Pete and uh, and Dave, right, CEO, CTO, okay. uh, and myself as well uh, at times. And you know, get a full day's worth of time to, for us to really understand and and watch and pair with them to be like, what are the pain points? You know, if you're uh, people using certain libraries or certain languages, are there certain things that make this more difficult? And 
Um, and yeah. uh, I mean, that did change the way we thought about how we would design the API. And I think, you know, a lot of the time in organizations, you know, you have a designer who's a UI UX expert, you know, um, who are, are really great at storyboarding and, uh, and creating beautiful design systems and things like yeah. that. Um, but as the equivalent for an API design, it's it's tough. There's there's developers that will be like, I'd never write a line of front end in my life, but you know, I have to write all of these these libraries and systems and, and APIs that um, that other yeah. developers have to interact with, and and that is a form of of design, and and there's an aesthetic there as well. And um, you know, I and, yeah. you know, we wanted to make sure that there was. The same things that you think about in UI design, you know, balance and consistency and uh, rule of least astonishment and, and all of that kind of stuff carried over into the way we design the API. And I think it's it's been tough yeah. and there have been times where it's been a bit fragmented and, and our API has been uh, not as clear as we want it to be. And I think it's, it's we have this focus that means that we always have, there's always this phase of correction, right, where we think, hey, we're adding a feature I feel like it's making something, you know, and when we think of it in the whole, it's making it feel inconsistent. So, you know, how do yeah. we how do we then take a step back and look at the whole design of this thing to say, where do we want to be moving to that makes it feel like Kodak again? Um, uh, and try and follow through on that uh, that statement of kind of, you know, it should only take a day. And, and a lot of that is about, you know, consistency of design and, uh, and stuff like that. Um, yeah, which has been... Which has been hard. I, I, the, the getting the time as well, you know. I think in terms of our balance yeah. between, you know, we've only started just started doing really a, a self serve offering because I think you know we were doing that kind of hand in glove with yeah. clients. We wanted to be embedded in that onboarding process. Not scalable, um, though, is it? Uh, so yeah, exactly. It's it's not scalable, and so you guys. It's not scalable for your CEO to be there. No, for yeah. sure. And, you know, finding the, the cutoff point, you know, when do you start saying, okay, we've learned enough, where are the points that we need to still have close touch? How do we work out getting a feedback channel? You know, we've just gone through that growing pain and we're starting to go into, you know, having a better self-serve offering, which will scale much better, having uh, documentation that we think really reflects um, our, our, our ethos uh, much better than, you know, maybe it had done at times when that, that culture and that ethos was more tribal, right? Which means you need to sit down and have a campfire uh, story to learn it rather than have something that's like a, an edict or a, you know, a freeze on the wall, which happens when you, when you uh, become a bit more of a civilization. <laughs> and it, it's, I'm right in saying it's definitely worth investing in yeah. just, for, I, just for use and happiness of customers and ease of integration I mean, it sounds like a no-brainer, but it's about continually getting that consistency and investing in it, right? Yeah, and um, uh, yeah, thinking about an API like a like any other piece of design work, and 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 really sitting with your clients and watching. I, this happens all the time, and people talk about it all the time, right? Sitting down and watching your clients use your product. Um, but you know, whether that's uh, you know, I think UX designers are very used to setting up that sort of. Uh, that sort of process, okay. you know, um, yeah. uh, you know, doing card sorts, uh, doing dummy things with with mockups and uh, user groups and focus groups. Yeah. You know, it's, it's something that a lot of UX designers do do a lot of. But when it comes to API design and it's in a developer's hand, that's not 
a set of tools that they're, they're used to. So you need to find a way for you to be able to really watch other engineers use your your API and, and you learn a, a huge amount from it. And, and we learned massive from it, you know, massive from it. You know, a lot of people coming in from organizations where they're like, you know, Java developers and, and things like that, an organization that have got like, well, actually we've got this monolith of stuff that I have to think about whenever I write a line of code and actually getting to the point at which I can yeah. write a line of code that makes a request to an API actually is is not as simple as writing that line of code that lets you access uh, an API. And yeah. Um, you know, imagine. the different tools, uh, tooling that people were using, you know, it was, um, yeah, it was really eye-opening and, you know, it was really sensible to, and we learned, we learned I can a lot. Imagine. So you, you make, seemingly you make an integration seamless. So can you help us understand some of the engineering challenges that you, the team go through? Example, you know, we've spoken offline, managing high volumes of data. Okay, what other engineering challenges or that challenge in particular do do you think you face that are compelling about the environment that you're working in? I think that the, the data thing is interesting, and, I, and this is probably true of a lot of those sorts of data platforms, is that, you know, people are more and more interested in real-time information, right? And that they want the information to be there as soon as they ask for it, but they're not going to be asking you all the time. Which means you know you, you you're going to have this kind of um, uh, this asymmetry in your system. I think a lot of engineering or um, practices, patterns and practices over the, the last few years have been geared around this kind of optimizing that kind of crud up. And, and maybe the canonical example is like a newspaper, right? So, so journalist writes article at newspaper. They write story. Story gets written to database. Yeah. Uh, editor comes along, takes a read put some red pen in or make some edit, there's an update operation, right? So you've got one write update operation, one update uh, thing. Then they publish it on the website and 10 million people read it. Right? So an awful lot of engineering is geared around that model, right? I, I take a picture once with Instagram yeah. and then all of my followers want to be able to see it the second that comes up. Whereas Kodak kind of has a sort of a, a yeah. problem. It's sort of, it's sort of reversed, right? Um, uh, opposite, opposite side of things where, you know, someone's only going to come and look at that photograph uh, once, but when they look at it, they want to make sure that it's like it's really up to date. So, actually, we have you know yeah. tens of millions of, of write actions going on behind the scenes for every time somebody wants to come in and, and read data out of our cache. So, the way that the system works is when we're pulling as information as real time as possible from the people that we integrate with. Uh, and we store it in a, in a cache. We have a sensible query engine on the front of then, right? So it means that when then the availability for that information isn't at the behest of whatever third party it is, it also means that the ability to transform and manipulate and query that information isn't at the behest of the API that's on the other side. Um, so we've got okay. these kind of systems at whatever cadence you want to be able to updating, uh, update that data kind of going out and trawling those those third parties to get that information to be as real time as possible in this cache that people people then query into. So yeah. one of the problems there we've got we've got some query engine sitting on front of a database that's that's incredibly write heavy. Right, there's there's constantly churn um, in the information and how do we make that information queryable and structured and uh, and written to in the most in the quickest way possible because you know speed is very important um, there. Then in, in yep. terms of the, the standardization problem, there's, 
you know, huge amounts of data. It's quite lossy, right? We, we get huge amounts of data and, you know, you have to chip away at the bits that you want to be able to map, map the intent. And so there's masses of volume there. And you need, you know, the way that we code yeah. those things, the kind of domain knowledge we need to understand use cases, to be explicit about when we're mapping intent, yeah. and to do it in a performant way, right? Those things where we're mapping that information, sometimes it's not, it's not a one-to-one, right? There's different pieces of information which need to be brought together to kind of give you, uh, to give you one value somewhere. Um, and so actually there's quite a lot of algorithmic complexity there. It seems like it might be mundane. It's like bit shoveling, okay. right? Just, this, this, this string from here goes there, but it's, it's never that simple. Right. And, um, uh, so that there's, there's doing that kind of thing in a, in a technically performant way, but sympathetic to the domain, right? You need to know a little bit about what information you're handling and why, uh, and, and that's, you know, I think that's a really okay. fascinating set of problems. Um, and the general scale, like infrastructure and the terabytes of of information that's just flying yeah. around right that's you know as you mentioned um obviously a big part of uh of what we do um, was, and then you know obviously the dx i, I was just about to, yeah i can imagine that the dx is that that's an interesting challenge i i think the the interesting part um you touch on performance and i can imagine we're going to talk about this integration with played plaid however they shape it i've heard two versions um I can imagine that the complexity grows with performance as the loads increase. And you talk about um, making your system more performant with algorithms and other things. I can imagine it's just this moving triangle constantly as the business scales. People still want to access data real time and they want it at the same speed that they did a year ago. But that scale is continuously growing. Um, so I can imagine that's a tough challenge to get right. As an outsider, getting that performance as performant and optimal as ever with that scale and load increasing. Yeah. We talked about hiring and company culture, that kind of, you know, the system, RFCs, ADRs, and um, people people being empowered to make decisions, people being empowered to input um uh, new technical work and and that's an area where it's you know it's particularly important because you know we we think engineers should be owner operators so they're, they're quite yeah. often the ones who are operating the systems they're the ones looking at the monitoring they're looking at the dashboards they're looking at what's being spat out um yeah and need to be feeding into where do we think our next bottleneck is that's um that's going to slow this down in a way that's going to a client is going to notice that any number of clients are going to notice and rather than having some centralized point of architectural design or happening, sometimes I might, on a yeah. particularly egotistical day, maybe I'll sit on a in, a in a white tower and say, I think we should do X. But generally, it's, <laughs> it's coming up from the, the entire team, right? Which is, um, I think yeah. here there might be a bottleneck. Okay, well, where's that coming from? Maybe we can help coordinate or collaborate with another team. Is that bottleneck coming because of some dependency on some other system? And okay. you're always thinking, okay, nice. let's talk to sales. Let's talk to business, uh, the business development guys. Let's talk about what markets we're attacking. You know, what does the, the shape of the data in those markets make those bottlenecks look like? And, you know, if we sell to this client yeah. or this client, what's their usage going to be like? You know, what parts of the system do they really passionate about? Because what you want to know is I want to be making sure that my, my scale problem for in six months time is solved 
now, right? Because the last thing you want to do is be tackling a scalability problem at the point at which you have it. Because usually what that means is your yep. infrastructure is red lighting everywhere and, and you, you've got an incident um, and, a, yep. and an outage uh, on your status page. And so, yeah, it's this kind of constantly you need to be ahead of, you know, okay, what do we think the problem is going to be in six, six, nine months? Um, and that's probably fine. I think maybe that's the other thing we talked about simplicity. Do, doing things that don't scale is maybe okay as long as you know where the bin fires are that are going to, to burn down the building in six months' time and as long as you're, you're ahead of those. Because equally, you don't necessarily want to be thinking about, hey, we need to make this aspect of the system the most possibly performant and scalable thing yep. in the entire world if that's not going to be the bottleneck for the way that the, 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 the system's going to be used, uh, which is not always something you yep. can you know easily predict um and you know you we try yeah. you know the dx thing right that kind of makes sure that there's only one sensible way to do any particular activity and that means you have a little bit of an understanding of the yeah. impact on the system for any use case um but yeah you've kind of got to be just in time and just ahead of that sort of thing to make sure you're applying value where it's going to be felt the most um, and that that takes collaboration because you yeah. need the the operators of the system to be to be telling you where those those bottlenecks are going to be. Yeah, I can imagine observability is quite a big thing. Then uh, actually, really seeing what's going on on the ground or in your systems, as in, uh, and um, probably looking at some of that growth over three months. But you know, it it's someone's job or everyone's job to think okay let's let's think and build for 10x because we don't want to be here every quarter where we're doing more sales but from a tech perspective it, it's absolutely chaos because we're putting out fires every single day yeah um so i get that yeah i mean it's software so you're putting out fires every single day. <laughs> that's true. Uh, true. But that's fine, right? The 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 the, the fires, a bin fire is okay, right? It's an office fire. That's that's not okay. Um, Good. <laughs> so plaid, plaid. How do you say it? I mean, I say plaid, but I that doesn't mean I'm right. Um, I, I, cool. I don't, I'm not sure. <laughs> let's let's go with plaid and talk to us about that integration. Talk to us about what that means to customers what that means to you as a business that that's impressive by the way yeah um i mean they've they've really shown uh the value of the model right i think in terms of you know if you're looking at an organization you know you're looking out at incumbents who have solved problems you'd be like is that was that a problem that needed solving well they've done it really well and evidently it definitely was and uh, and um, yeah, the great company with great products. Um, I think they had a you know sort of similar ethos about developer experience and, and transparency and all that kind of good stuff. And um, yeah. yeah, so a really great product. And, and, and obviously, we started with accounting information um, and, okay. and accounting information, the sort of business management information. Depending on you know your your cultural perspective, um, is may or may not be super reliable like how, how 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 many times do people fiddle the books well people fiddle the books all the time and maybe the people that fiddle the books are the ones that are out on the market looking for uh looking for finance right who might be talking to some lender um and saying hey please look at my balance sheet and uh and please give me you know whatever finance i need to to get through whatever i'm doing right and so understanding the yeah. how reliable uh, accounting information is is incredibly important to a lot of people who want to be able to use 
the, the, the information, the, the level of abstraction that it is, right? So I want to know what people are invoicing and I want to know who they're invoicing. I want to know about debtor concentration and, and all these kind of wonderful things you can calculate from that sort of information. But I want to know that I can really trust it. Yeah. The great thing about your bank statement is it's very hard to cook the books on a bank statement, right? A bank statement tends to be something that um, uh, holds a certain trust, I guess, in terms of that, that information. And yeah. so having that information alongside each other, right? Your, your kind of uh, your bank statement that proves the activity that's happening in the business is really important to the people who want to consume yeah. this information. And so, you know what, um, having them alongside each other, it opens up a huge number of use cases for, for, for both, for both products, right? Um, people who are like, what I really want to do is I want to use business management information, but I don't necessarily trust it. I can use bank, uh, bank information to verify it. Um, and, and, you know, I yeah. think it's, you know, it's a really powerful kind of combination for, for people who want to do that sort of thing. And, and I think that kind of this idea, you know, Tell I guess we mentioned partners a lot. It's really important, this, this openness of, uh, of this kind of open data principles, yeah. right? Um, having good, ac- uh, good kind of authorized access um, to information um, that you can leverage as a user. I don't mean Kodak as a company or Plaid or Plaid as a company. I mean, yeah. you as a user who, as a business owner or you know, an accounts individual at an organization, you really want to be able yeah. to leverage your information in a way that's, that allows you to make choices yeah. about products that you want to interact with, whether that's something like expense management or um, you know, something like a, a, some financial product from someone, you know, better overdraft or a business yeah. loan. Um, and also that yeah. in that world, you want to pick the best product for your, for the job, right? So if you're like, I want to bank with this neo yeah. bank, and I want to get my um, this fintech, um, I want to do invoice financing with this fintech or whatever. And, and and the expectation is these days, right, that you guys should be talking to each other, right? Why do I have to do a whole bunch of manual processes? To you know, as long as I'm being yeah. asked, and you guys are being honest about you know, the fact that I'm giving you my information to be able to act on. Um, yeah, that absolutely needs to be facilitated. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, more and more, I think this kind of model, I think is, you know, really, really important. I love it. We, we've discussed simplified architecture, um, engineering ethos, and I guess how you talk about architecture, documentation, team decisions. Uh, we've spoken about some interesting things on performance, developer experience, and thinking about scale. Uh, is is there anything that you're quite keen to share with people who are no doubt listening, thinking they look like an interesting business to go and talk to slash work for? Is there anything else that you want to share with anyone that represents you guys and girls? That's a good question. I guess we've, I think in terms of, Getting a picture for, you know, how Kodak solves problems and uh, and what you know what maybe there would be an expectation from from any individual who who joined the organisation, right? That's so that cool. kind of, um, I think we've kind of you know we've you know we've probably gone over it fairly well and 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 that kind of you know honesty and trust and uh, collaborative. I think that those are the, the probably the most important things um, to us. Uh, and it, and there is a big expectation okay. of individuals that come into the business. You know that that trust comes with responsibility, of course. But 
uh, yeah, I think that that's if you if you like working in an environment that's that that's kind of open, and that you are expected to make decisions yeah. when you're confronted with them. And if you don't know how to make a decision, that you're open and and fine with going to look for help. Um, that doesn't suit everybody, you know. I think okay. that, um, but yeah, I think uh, it's sort of essential. A code, I think. Okay. Are you looking for people right now? If so, who are the sorts of people that you're looking for? Go for it. Yeah. Who are we looking for? Who are we not looking for? I think we're... Um, okay. If you can think of a role in a tech business, we've, we've probably got an opening for it. Um, in engineering, we're, uh, we're, we're always on the lookout for um, C-sharp devs um, with uh, uh, kind of patterns and practices, you know, who, who think about testing first and, uh, and all that kind of good stuff, passionate about continuous integration, continuous delivery, and uh, and, and kind of microservice type architectures, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, we're always on the lookout for, for good C-sharp devs. Um, we're also looking for kind of React. I think in terms of people being full stack, I think we like specialists. I think partly we, you know, going back to that collaboration point, um, you know, if you're being super collaborative, then having specialists can be quite useful, right? Because people tend to pair and things like that, and you get the best of each other's skills. Um, so there's sort of full stacks yeah. of thing, but I think our C sharp is pretty middleware and back end, and and our front end is is kind of all React. We're doing uh, as much as we do microservices and back end, we kind of do micro front ends um, uh, as nice. well. So uh, to own operator teams who operate some back end service or function, usually own and are moving towards owning yeah. the front end piece for that as well. Um, so that's yeah. uh, that's cool. If you come from an organization, you know, and I, I think that's a fairly new world for front end that kind of um, uh, microservices architecture for front end, but we're getting a lot of uh, a lot of yeah. of good stuff out of it. QA, we're always looking for good QA assets. Really, I think generally yeah. we um, our QA is kind of embedded in engineering teams. They're like a quality specialist. Nice. They're not expected to write all the automation. Right, engineers should be writing tests, but we really like uh, uh, QAs that are yeah. kind of assets. I guess happy writing automation. Yeah. Uh, and then at the front of the business, right, we're looking for Good. solutions architects, um, account executives, and um, uh, ops people, and uh, yeah, uh, a lot of different roles. We've got an office in uh, in in New York as well um, that that we opened last year. Um, that's slowly growing. We're building a, a sales team there principally, but also a solutions architecture team uh, and probably a support team uh, at some point. So we have kind of follow the sun type awesome. support. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know if you've got international awesome. uh, listeners, but yeah, there's the, that office is opening up and we're, we're looking for people to, to kind of start fleshing out that team. I hope so. Yeah. hope we've got some people over there. If uh, everyone listening to, to summarize a little bit about what we discussed, you know, with some of the engineering challenges, we're, or you should come and think about talking to Jason, talking to Kodak, um, if you're, in the world of .NET, C-sharp, modern engineering practices and principles, and, and following some nice ways of doing things, working for a business that, that actually wants to deliver a product that, of course, generates revenue, but is moving at some pretty good pace, tune in. There, there's some links below where you can pester Jason. Please pester him. Reach out or reach out to any of the links that are on there and um, go and speak to to some of the guys and girls and jace big thank you to you and it's been awesome to have you here and 
good luck with everything that's going on at Kodak. Cheers, man. Yeah, thanks, Elliot. Um, yeah, good chat. You asked some um, you asked some cunning and difficult questions. Thanks, man. Sorry, um, I, I honestly don't mean to do that, but thank you. No, for everyone else, you read a script, right? That's boring. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For everyone else, please like, share, show your friends, come and share your stories. A big thanks, everyone. Bye for now. See ya. Hey guys, thanks for watching this episode. Uh, massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us. If you want to find out more about us and what we're doing, please check us out on social media. What we're trying to do at Engineers is build a community to drive knowledge, sharing and experiences. On Twitter, we can be found at engineers.io. It's no underscore. We've also got a website, which is engineers.io. These links will all be posted in the description. Any feedback and comments are massively appreciated. We're always looking to improve on where we can. Thanks, guys.